This is Stena. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Identity in Me, or In Me for short. My guest for this episode is Anthony Barbosa, who is a success story despite very modest beginnings. He's on the show to talk about how socioeconomic status shaped his early life experiences and how he has given back to the Worcester community as an adult. How have you been? What have you been up to? Um, I've been stuck in COVID. Um, it's been it's been it's been interesting for me. Um, I actually just had a daughter, so she's eight months. So the the, the good thing I've been able to spend a lot of time with her because due to COVID, I haven't had um as much shows and events for for American Pyramids, and also work just has been at home. We're working at home, so there there really hasn't been much um going on with COVID. I had to cancel my big summer jam classic. I had to cancel a lot of things. Basketball is pretty much who knows in the air right now. So really, I'm just really at home, just just thinking and going over planning for next year, really, hopefully, who knows now, the, the, the way the world's going, who knows when things will be back to normal. Yeah, seriously. Um, and uh, in this episode, we're gonna get into some of what you've done uh, since you graduated from college. Um, you mentioned American Pyramids, you have a brand uh, that I uh, would love for you to promote on the show. Uh, and um, some of the uh, community service that you're doing in Worcester, uh, that's important as well. So uh, a little bit of background on Anthony and I. Uh, so I met Anthony when he was 17 or 18, and he visited Quinsigaman Community College as a basketball prospect, as a recruit. Uh, he wasn't too happy to be there, I could tell. You know, initially when I talked to guys back in the day, it's not like they were smiling ear to ear because Quinsig was the last resort. And I don't know that I had the greatest local reputation with young people, but uh, he didn't seem too thrilled to be there. And I totally judged him. And I was thinking to myself, this ain't going to work out. I don't know. This dude looks like a real punk. And uh, here we are many, many years later, at least 10 years later. Yeah, 10 years later. <laughs> 10 years. Wow. gone from being uh, my starting point guard to a friend and somebody I care a lot about. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Anthony was from a local high school um, in a district that has a lot of uh, students who identify as low income, first generation. Anthony, how do you identify? Um, Puerto Rican and white. Uh, a little backstory on this question. People used to always ask me this and not even trying to be funny, but I used to be confused about how to answer this. Cause, Why? Because my, my complexion, right? I'm white as day. Yeah. But I never I never realized like skin complexion. Like I never like grew up in like I didn't even know what racism was. Hmm. And people thought it sounds crazy and like like I never got picked on for being white in an all black neighborhood, Spanish neighborhood, you know? Like I didn't really to until I, I became an adult really like and literally in adult, like mid twenties, I, I started to realize the way the, the way the world is when I started educating myself because growing up, like I never got the hey, like look at white boy, like like yeah, you had you heard jokes there and there, but I, I would see black people joke on black people as well, you know. So I just thought it was jokes. I never knew it was like disrespectful or stuff like that. So I remember someone said, "Identify yourself." I swear, like I did not know how to answer that question. I was like, "I'm white." But my dad, my dad's full Puerto Rican, came from Puerto Rico. My mom is white as day, just like me. But her, her persona, the culture she gave me isn't like what you see in the mass, you know? Like, we didn't listen to punk rock. <laughs> like, we didn't, 
we didn't dress like that, you know, like we dressed urban, our culture was urban. So when people always ask me better for myself, I'd be like, Puerto Rican and, and white. Okay. So uh, your mom wasn't stereotypically white. Yes. Okay. Did you feel pressure at any point to pick one? Like when you talk to people and you are identifying yourself, did you ever stop at Puerto Rican or white? Did you ever have that struggle? I, I, I would always say, like, I'm Puerto Rican. Like, if a girl asks me what I am, I'll tell her I'm Puerto Rican. Like, like in the dating scene, usually girls would argue I'm Puerto Rican. But cause, okay, why did you choose Puerto Rican on the dating scene? I just thought, like, oh, yeah, obviously I'm white, so if they ask me what I am, I'm, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. Interesting. Okay, so they could see what you are outwardly, but you want them to know more about what's going on internally. Yeah, yeah, because I just, I didn't know what being white is. Do you say that because your mom's family wasn't the sort of white folks that you see on TV? Is that why you say that? Well, my mom didn't have a side of her family. So my grandma was kind of distant. Um, she had some of her own personal issues. So she was in a nursing home at a very young age um, for personal reasons. Um, so I, I, I never knew my mom's white side. Like her brother, she had a brother who's been, again, on personal reasons, haven't really been involved in our family circle. So from the age of eight or nine, I didn't know anyone from her side of her family, you know? Like Understood. we didn't have gatherings at her house. We didn't, like, we didn't have no interaction with, with my mom's white side. So I just did not know what that culture was. I didn't know, I just didn't know. Okay, so you're mostly around your father's family. Yeah, and and, and even at that, um, I was around them in holidays and stuff like that, but my every day was with with black kids you know my, my neighborhood was, was mostly black and my my circle of friends were mostly black so i just did not know anything outside of that you know okay and let me ask you did you get your um n-word pass like were you just sort of person who could say the n-word and not have somebody punch you in the face <laughs> so so um well long story short i never never got checked for it ever hmm. Like, but, so in college, right, um, we have a kid from Vermont. So my, at that time in my, in my college team at, um, at MCLA, our team was mostly my minorities, right? Um, so we have some, some random white kid from Vermont, right? <laughs> I'm using the N-word all the time, right? Yeah. He stops us one day. And this is when, like I said, when I'm older, I start realizing, he's like, why the hell is Anthony allowed to say this word so much? Yeah. <laughs> and we all stop and we don't know how to answer. Like, cause it's actually a great question. I never heard you use it, interestingly. Maybe it was because I told you from the giddy up that I charged people uh, for using the term. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if you remember that. I remember everyone, but, but that's the thing though. I just don't use it, you know? I'm not gonna, I don't use it just to, just to use it. I just, when I'm with my people, we, like if it comes out, it comes out. I'm not out here like saying it after every sentence, you know? But. Uh, in college, when that kid did say that, it, it, it did process in my mind. Like, I, I've never dealt with no one ever. Like, even growing up in the Boys and Girls Club, all my mentors who are mostly black, like, they've never, I've never got checked for it. So I never thought about it, you know? And I'm about to be 29 on Monday. All right. Congrats. You're not getting old, by the way. I saw that nonsense you posted yeah, on Facebook talking about I'm getting old. Like, try nearing 40. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That, that'll put some... Uh, give you some perspective. All right. So one of my other memories of you, it's something that saddened me at the time, but led me to respect you even more. So uh, I think you needed a ride. You called me 
and uh, I came to pick you up and you were eating a single slice of white bread. And I was like, bro, like, why are you eating white bread? And you looked at me like, what's wrong with eating white bread? I eat white bread. But I was just tripped up by this matter of you eating white wonder bread. And then you got into telling me about your past and the poverty that you grew up in. And so um, I'm wondering, growing up, how did being poor affect you? And talk a little bit about your living situation from childhood through your teens. The white bread story, I call it now. That's you, you like got that in my head now, the white bread story. I, I'm going to write a short story about that one day. I had great, great parents. Like my parents weren't bad parents at all. They did they make mistakes in their past that affected my life and, and my siblings' life at that time in our household um, economically, yes. But the thing is, I didn't, I didn't realize I was poor until I was about 12 years old. Like growing up, you know, you have food, you have food, you have clothes, you know, you get the video game. So I, I thought I thought I was good, you know. I knew I wasn't rich because, you know, I could tell the environment I lived in. But I knew I didn't think I was poor until I was 12, until, like, until I became homeless. Like, when, when I actually became homeless is when I – and the thing is, it wasn't even me feeling this. I, I, I started feeling, like, poor is when my mom started making it, like, public that, like, we was in a bad situation. Like, me and my sister, my mom had to share a room for a whole year, right? And at that time, still, I still got my video game and my TV in my room. But I didn't realize it until, so I'm in sixth grade, and I'm going to school with, like, no jacket. I'm cold as hell. But I still, again, I'm still not processing that I'm poor, right? I, I still understand that money means anything at this time. But my principal pulls me to the side and says, hey, you have a jacket? Like, where's your jacket and stuff? I'm like, I don't have one. Why? My mom said, we just can't get one right now. Like, it's just not a priority. She was like, that's weird, you know? Like, it's not a priority for a jacket. So one day I get called into the office. Um, I see my mom sitting there in tears, like, crying. Like, she looks like a lobster. She's so red. And I see on the corner, like, a jacket, a bunch of jackets, backpacks and stuff. And she's just crying. And the principal gives us that stuff. And, like, that day I realized, like, like the reality, you know? I never knew. Yeah. What poor meant. I never knew what any of this meant. I never knew what money meant. Never knew. I thought, you know, we had a house. We got clothes. We're, we're good, you know? Yeah. I see my, my parents are happy. As I see, like, I don't see nothing crazy, you know? So that day, like, changed my life. Like, it was like seeing my mom, like, like I mean, tears. Like, she couldn't stop. And my mom's tough as, like, nail. Like, my mom's been through it. Why was she crying in that moment? I think she finally realized like the situation, I, I, I think she really felt like, like I can't even get my kids jackets. And I felt like, cause she's so strong. I think she just had a weak moment where like, she she really appreciated like what our school did for us. You know, they gave us big jackets, gloves, hats. And I, I, I just felt like she was, I think she felt like she was weak cause she saw me at 12 years old, her, her, her oldest kid see her in that weak moment, you know? Mm. And how did you feel in that moment? It, it broke me because before that moment, me, me and my mom had a really bad relationship. Why? Um, she did some things that I didn't agree with that I witnessed and I was 12 and I could notice it and left me and my sister in a tough situation. And my dad was doing what my dad does. And um, I, I, I feel like my mom abandoned us, but she, and she didn't. She just made a mistake and she had to, you know, she got in trouble for a little bit. And um, 
so I hated her. Like I hated her. When she came back into the house, we had a we just didn't have a good relationship. And then when all that happened, I could see like you know. So when all that happened, my mom ended up moving back home. So me and mom, my sister, now my dad's out the picture, and that's when we be, when we became homeless, and we lived with with my mom's friend for a little bit, um, in 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 one room, and then but that day I see my mom in that pain and in that principal's office, it changed my whole, it, it really connected me and my mom way more. I felt for her and I, and I understood why she did what she did sometimes and her pain, you know? Got it. How did being poor affect you in school? Did it impact your behavior after that moment in the office where you saw your mom crying? Did your frustration manifest in different ways in the classroom? Yeah. Um, so my anger for her became anger to the world. Like, all right, I, I'm I'm mad at mom. I still wasn't the best student, but I wasn't awful. But when that anger turned and I wasn't like mad at mom no more, um, I'm mad at the world now because you guys did this to my mom. When I you just, say you were mad at the world, what were you doing to reflect fighting, that anger? Fighting a lot, <laughs> fighting a lot. I got a little rep for fighting. School <laughs> teachers just were sick of me, getting suspended a lot, smoking cigarettes, <laughs> like finding every way to not feel my mom's pain, you know, like it's crazy. Cause like we grew closer, but everything else was like, cause I, I was super social, you know, I always had a social life. I was always like the cool kid, you know, I was never not cool. Like never picked on, never a nerd. Like I was just always the cool guy, but and not, not angry really, like really didn't get in trouble much, you know, like I'll get in trouble there and there. But that day when I really, changed my perspective on my mom and because I, I like hated my mother man it was it's crazy when, did you have any anger towards your father though i mean you had all this that, uh <laughs> ill feeling directed towards mom but what about that i, I think i gave him a break because he's that we, we talk about sports he he would buy me stuff you know my dad was a he was a scratch ticket guy. So he had the lottery every other month. So, you know, so he'll buy me some shoes. He'll buy me the new video games. My mom was more the grinder, the hustler, the like, you know, make sure I'm good. My dad was like, here you go. Like my, my dad was a good dad structure, like teaching me how to be a young man, but he was also to like buy me things, you know, like if I think if I'm not cool with dad, like I'm not going to get these things with mom. I have nothing to lose, you know? Got you. Okay. All right. So going back to this matter of school and fighting, and uh, being a problem in the classroom. Did any teachers or administrators ever ask what was wrong and try to help you? Was counseling ever offered? I think the school system did an awful, like looking back, they did an awful job. Like I was in seventh grade. I was getting kicked out of class every day. I was accused of starting a, a game called the Lincoln Street N-word. <laughs> yeah. um, I was, I was, they said that I was the leader of the gang and they tried to suspend me for a whole year. Were you? Huh? Did you start and lead a gang? It, I guess, but it wasn't a gang. It was just a neighborhood group. We, we, we just called ourselves the LNIC, you know what I'm saying? The Lincoln yeah. and in charge. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but like, we, but like we wasn't selling drugs or shootouts and stuff. We literally just like hang out, smoke, drink, you know, just hang like, like yeah, we, we wasn't, seventh graders like doing like we wasn't a book club but we yeah. also wasn't a gang you know so i remember i got accused of that in seventh grade they threatened to suspend me a year my parents went in there and said not happening um they kind of basically got it reversed 
But like they never basically they they told me to my face like you're just not gonna be nobody. You might as well just just do your own thing. Just just don't come to the office and we just won't bother you. Like no one sat down to try to talk to me, try to engage me in activities to help me. Honestly, if it, if it wasn't for me becoming homeless, I wouldn't even have gone to the boys and girls club, which 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 to me ultimately saved my life. Talk a little bit more about that, please. About the boys and girls club. Yeah. So. At the time when we're at my mom's friend's house, we have nothing to do. We're in a neighborhood. We don't know no one. Um, we were still going to Guarded, which was a, a Main Street school. So we was taking the bus every day. So um, I met a friend there, Ryan Withers, who's actually a, a local cop now in Worcester. Um, I met him, and he um, he brought me to the Boys and Girls Club with him. And I just fell in love with it. Um, and from that day, I went there from the age of 11, like 11 and a half, 12. And until so 18 and I met a couple mentors and that's when I got introduced to basketball and it really helped me like stay away from the street life. Cause I was, I was, I was in that thin line. I was close. I was close a couple of times. You had these issues in your childhood. You found the boys and girls club, got um, directed towards basketball. And as we talked about at the beginning of the episode, you played for me at Quinsig, transferred to MCLA. And before I get to MCLA, which is the Mass College of Liberal Arts. I remember um, in your final season with me, you didn't get to play a final season because you had a moment on the court um, and what you realized after the fact was um, an anxiety attack. Right, crazy. And so my question to you is, do you think the anxiety attack that you had on the court that day at Clark was just years of trauma that built up and finally came out? Yeah, hundred percent. I think this might sound crazy, um, but with my anxiety, which I still deal with today, I think when things are going really good for me, um, somehow, some way, my mind gets dark, gets trapped. Because um, going into that season with you, I literally felt unstoppable. Like I, I, and I think I think I remember you said that one day. You're like, you're really becoming a basketball player this this summer. Like I think I was destroying all the summer leagues. I was the most athletic I ever been shooting, shooting wise. I was getting, I was just really like, even preseason, you know, we had Jimmy Bilal, great players. And I think I was just dominating. I just felt amazing. Like defensively, I felt like I can guard someone 90 feet. Just, I felt like my body felt amazing. And then boom, like that early September, like I just started feeling anxiety every, every moment. Like I took, even remember preseason, I told you, you know, this, I don't feel right. Like what's going on? Like, I, and it's crazy. Cause I felt so great. Like I felt amazing going into that season. Like, and then boom, my body just shut down and I did all these tests, everything and everything came back as anxiety, anxiety. But I think everything, I think everything really did catch up cause I avoided all that, you know? So I've been dealing with anxiety for the last 10 years, been hospitalized over 25 times. And now uh, has counseling been suggested to you to start to like unpack a lot of the stuff that might be causing the anxiety right now? Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm finally proud to say it. I, I left it in the dark for a while, but I, I'm actually going to therapy now. And, and I Yo, yes, yes. Finally, it took me 10 years, like eight, a lot of doctors suggesting it to me. But um, the past year I've done it and it's, it's definitely helped my mental health a lot. Why and, were you resistant to doing it? Just, you know, just growing up, like if you're therapy, you're a chump, you're weak, you know, like therapies for the weak people. Like nobody wants to hear you. Like, I just thought it was weird talking to someone that doesn't really even know you, you know, like, 
like I'm just talking and they're just sitting there like just throwing questions at me but like it was a whole different experience and I loved it like I, I fell in love with therapy good to hear I'm happy to hear that like I said you transferred from Quinsig to MCLA continued your basketball career there ultimately graduated with a bachelor's degree um, real success story that um, I'm happy to share with people. And while you were at MCLA, you started an after-school program of some sort yeah. and then graduated and started a clothing line. So can you talk a little bit about the after-school program you started and this clothing line that you have now? Yeah, for sure. So my senior year, college basketball, I thought I had some goals of playing in Puerto Rico. That, that was like my goal going into that year. Like I'm going to have a good senior year because I was playing a lot gonna go play professional basketball in Puerto Rico. I'm in a class, I take a course called like community engagement course, basically a course where you make up your own business or your own um, community engagement, entrepreneur thing. And I always want, like growing up with the Boys and Girls Club, I always wanted to give back. It was just something I always wanted to do. So in January, I started a program called the Assist Program where North Adams Local Elementary School, which doesn't, it's actually the only town in Massachusetts that doesn't have a boys and girls club, a YMCA in a 15 mile radius. So literally these kids have nothing, right? They just have school. They may have after school program at school, then go home. So I created the assist program where my basketball team was my volunteers. And I, I fell in love. I felt so much in love with that program. I know my call in Jamie, Jamie Morrison, my coach says like, I just checked out of basketball. I, I just didn't care about basketball no more. Like it wasn't going like I wanted, but not only that, I just like, I cared about like making sure like, my guys are going to see these kids, make sure these kids are doing good, you know, make sure they have a Christmas, like holidays. So when I created the assist program, I threw a big event. That's kind of like my summer jam class. Like I did it in college and I fell in love with seeing people like, you know, we gave away free gifts, free food, free concert. And just when I sat back and looked at everyone happy, the excitement, I, the impact I can have in the community rather than basketball, you know, I know basketball will always be connected to me and always be like, you know, like I'm a basketball player, so people are going to connect with me as well. But just the impact I had in that community event really made me want to start my own type of type of brand, type of business, because I was doing this through MCLA, you know. Um, you so left your legacy, you know, and that's so important. It's so much more important than anything you could have done on the basketball court. And I think that's so dope. Before you go on to talk about American pyramids, I'm curious, given that you uh, grew up poor, it's not like you were going to private schools and whatnot before you got to college. Do you feel as though your education prepared you to be successful in college? No. Um, that's, I think, I don't know if you remember, but my first, my first semester at Quinsig was awful. Um, didn't know what to do. I was literally like, you know, people think I'm joking to this day, but like my math class is like five plus 10. Like we were doing fractions and subtractions. And I'm in, I'm a freshman in college. Um, my, my writing class was intro conclusion three. I don't know where this is day. Like we, we was writing paragraphs. Like I'm like, this yep. is college. Like this yep. is, this is crazy. Like I think I finished my freshman year with like no credits. And I was just like, well, no transferable credits. You had the remedial classes, but no transferable right. credits. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. Right. So I, I couldn't transfer, couldn't do anything because I just, I, I really, like one thing, and I hope um, some of my kids listen to this podcast and understand this. Like that's why high school is so important. Um, I finished high school with like a one point six or seven GPA. I think it was. Yeah, one point seven. I remember. 
Yeah, 1.7 GPA, and I was very behind when I started college. You know, like it was hard. Like one, the classes I was taking were discouraging because I felt like I was in third grade and I still couldn't get A's. You know, so that was tough. But um, yeah. So the class, and actually, um, the, the, but that's credit to you too. I remember being in class and I want to skip, but I know you, you're gonna walk by and you're gonna you're gonna knock on that window and make sure I'm there, which put like fear in my heart. <laughs> like, like, like that's one thing I needed too. And um, just thanks to you. I know this is kind of off topic, but thanks to you for the, for that part. Like you made sure, cause if, if you wasn't knocking on the window doors, if you wasn't cussing me out in private, I would have never finished. So thank you. Hey, I, I never said anything inappropriate in private. I was always very kind. Yes, very. <laughs> Besides I suck. <laughs> um, but no, for real. But like, but I needed that, and a, a lot of a, a lot of my my coaching and, and mentor I I got from you in that in, in that perspective. Um, and I got ladders from you, but that's that's another subject. Thank you. Um, make them run, but yeah. So I wasn't ready. Like when I when I went to MCLA and like real like Quinn is a real college. So let me not say real college, but real college courses. So like the the courses I was taking. Um, at Quinsig, uh, it was tough. I, my first semester at MCLA, I had I had D's in every course. I had an A in um, physical education. Wow. Yeah, I had D's, but I actually ended up finishing. So I think I was like a, a 1.9 my first semester at MCLA on probation. Um, that first year was bad, but I ended up making the honor roll three, like like four semesters out of six at my time at, at MCLA. Yeah. So I finished with, I finished with a 2.9. You're a fighter. You never gave up. That was very much part of your um, mental makeup, even on the court. Um, my fondest memory of you as a basketball player uh, is state championship game against uh, Mass Bay and how you balled out. Um, and they were the number four ranked team and you almost carried us to a win. If it wasn't for a certain player messing up an out of bounds play, we would have gone to the championship. And I still remember that. Yeah, it hurts. Too. It hurts so bad. But anyway, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about American Pyramids. Um, you know, what was the inspiration for that? Uh, what have you done with it? And what do you hope to do with it in the future? Yeah, so um, American Pyramids is, is my brand. Um, we do have, um, I am a clothing line, but I'm really, um, I'm transferring to a nonprofit where I'll have a basketball program and a mentor program. Um, a little bit about the passive American Pyramids. Um, me and my um, best friend growing up, when we used to skip school, um, there was nothing on TV but the History Channel. So um, we fell in love with Pyramids. Um, there, there was just no, there was nothing we wanted to watch but Pyramids on History because it was during the school day. So, you know, all, all, all the channels we watched don't really have anything playing but reruns. So we just... Um, Hold on, you didn't watch Maury or Jerry Springer? Oh, I mean, that stuff's no. on at 10 and 11. Nah, never that. I thought that. Right, if I don't work, I watch Maury, man. You are not the father. Anyway, all right, cool. Respect for watching the History Channel. I watch yeah. garbage when I stay home, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah I watch the History Channel, and that's why I thought the world was going to end every day because they had the apocalypse stuff. But um, so, yeah, so History Channel. So he, so he's actually a rapper. He was a rapper. And so we his first mixtape was called American Pyramids. It never came out, but I'm finishing up college and I'm like you know what American Pyramids I, I want to build a, a company a brand a business that they're strong that will last forever I think that's a dope name came up with some shirts and they just started selling like 
overwhelmingly became popular. I, I was invited to host shows. I hosted a bunch of, so the first year I was just on the road doing a lot of stuff for American Pyramids. Um, I was doing some public speaking. I know I did some with you as well. But what, what like really made me again fall in love with, with the company and keeps it going today was I created the Summer Jam Classic. Um, I, I was actually at Dykeman that summer before I created it. And I talked to some people at Dykeman, which is a famous basketball court, um, street ball basketball court in the world. Um, and I wanted to create an environment like that in Worcester, which we don't have anything like that, you know? Yep. We don't really have any community engagement events that are for the community that are by the community, you know? Yeah, you have these major corporations throwing out their money, doing their little bags, but it don't mean the same, you know? It doesn't, it's not the same thing. So I created the Summer Jam um, Classic, which was a basketball tournament that featured over eight teams from all over New England and New York, featured Division One players, Division Two, Division Three pros. But not only that, you know, I gave away free back-to-school haircuts. Um, I, I teamed up with different barbershops every summer. Um, but, you know, we, we did free food, bouncy house, face paint. But, again, the main thing that I love and why I focus on Summer Jam was the free backpacks. Um, each year – um, I, I'm able to give over 200 free back, back to school backpacks with, with school supplies to over 200 kids in my community that I actually grew up in. I was raised in that community off of Lincoln Street. So I'm, I'm able to give back. Um, it's one of the biggest events. It's won, um, it's won the number one basketball tournament in New England once. It's won Worcester's biggest community event once. Um, I've won multiple awards from it. Um, and I've been able to get back and I've been able to inspire a lot of kids. So it's one of my favorite things that's part of American pyramids. Yeah. I've seen it evolve over the years and it's very impressive. It's, it's needed, uh, and positive in the community. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on today to chat with me. And, uh, hopefully I can come into Worcester and, and, and hang with you after all this nonsense passes, you know, we could break bread or have a drink or maybe even have a little bit of that coquito you make every year. For sure, I got you. All right, brother. Peace. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. Listening to Ant's story has me thinking of Juicy, Biggie Smalls' lyrical narrative about going from rags to riches. While Anthony isn't necessarily rich, his journey to the present can certainly be regarded as a victory. If you're an educator or working with youth, there's plenty to take away from this episode. I hope you heard it because I certainly did. Until the next episode of In Me, keep reflecting.